Well, welcome again. We're glad you're here at Grace. Everybody got extra rest or everybody's ready to go, right? That's right. All right. Even though you stayed up late last night watching the game, it's still good. So we're glad you're here. Hey, just uh, give you a heads up. You see the boxes out in the atrium there. We are doing Operation Christmas Child. You heard a story at the very beginning. We've done, last year I think between 16, 1700, somewhere in there. This year our goal is 2,000 boxes, so we really want to make that happen. And again, not about the number, it's about that each box represents one child who is impacted and may be impacted for an eternity. So we're all about that and uh, appreciate your help in making that happen. We're in a series, Genius, and we're talking about encounters with Jesus and and every time somebody encountered Jesus, they, they were always shocked, amazed. They came away uh, bewildered or freaked out or whatever. They always had a reaction to Christ. And today, we're looking at somebody, and a lot of these were just kind of one-time one encounters. Today, we're looking at Peter, who was with Jesus a lot. And we're going to see his encounter with Jesus at the end of Jesus' ministry, but also when when Peter first got to know Jesus, and we're going to look at some of those changes. And uh, we're going to get that from John chapter 21, so I invite you to grab a, a Bible on the chair rack in front of you, and we're going to start reading right there as we drill down into Jesus' in, uh, encounter with Peter and how that impacted his life over the course of three years. So beginning in John chapter 21, and this is after the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus sent his disciples up to Galilee, and now they're, they're waiting kind of for further instructions, and here's, here's what happens. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Sea of Tiberias, just another word for Sea of Galilee, another name. Verse 2. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll also come with you. And they went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the, when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children... You do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. What I want to notice as we look through and drill down into Peter's life here and his encounters with Jesus, is his encounter with Jesus brought him for Peter, produced a different they, a different him, and a different you. And I think it's the same with us. A different they, a different him, and a different you. 
different they, I mean a different crowd, a different community. His interaction with Jesus brought Peter a different community. What's happening here? They're, they're hanging out in Galilee. They're waiting to see Jesus again. Jesus told them he, he would be there. They, they got those instructions. And they're, they're killing time. And then Peter decides, I'm going fishing. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. A couple of the other disciples were too. Jay, you like that, right? He was a fisherman. And so he went out fishing. But the, the curious thing about it is, why would all the other ones go? Some of them are named. I mean, Thomas was there and Nathaniel and James and John. Two others weren't named. We're looking at this and, and they're together, but it's not fishing that's keeping them together. It's because they know Jesus. It's because they want to be together because of what's happened to them. Because some of these guys are they're complete opposites. For example, Nathaniel... We see his, when he shows up in the gospel, he believes and starts following Christ immediately. We, Thomas is there. Thomas is the guy that says, I'm not going to believe in the resurrection until Jesus is standing before me and I put my fingers into the wounds of his body, although there is not even a guarantee that Jesus' resurrected body would have those wounds. It, it did, but I mean, he's banking everything on something that might not even have been that way. He's, he's a skeptic. And then, not only that, you have John. John's a thinker, always processing everything. And then you have Peter, who doesn't seem to think about anything before he just acts. I mean, he just jumps in, thinks later. Not only that, it's the same with the rest of the disciples. We don't know who the other two guys were. But remember, there was another disciple named Simon, besides Simon Peter. He was Simon the Zealot. He was a rebel, wanting to overthrow the Roman government. And then you had... Matthew, who was he? A tax collector working for the Roman government. I mean, all these disciples were different, and they're hanging out, but, they, but when Peter goes fishing, they all go with him. Why? Because that's what people do when they come to Christ, is they come away with a new desire that they've never had before. And it's a desire to be around other believers. So that's what they're doing they all go, when Peter goes fishing, they all join him because they have this desire to be with other believers. And that's really beneficial for a couple of different ways. One, because they have a similar experience, they're believers. And two, I think it's beneficial because of their differences. They're similar, and just like many of us here are similar, in that we've come to the point to realize that we are guilty of sinning against God, personally guilty. That we've rebelled against him. But God loves us and he offers forgiveness. And we've taken him up on that offer. And he brings joy into our life. That no matter what our background, that gives us a reason to want to be around other people. But another benefit is the differences in all the disciples. Because in our differences, sometimes we can get to know Jesus better. Let me explain that. Pam and I have three grown children. Two of them are married and our third is engaged. And we have two grandkids now by the two married ones. And so this afternoon, we'll, sometimes we get together for lunch on Sunday. So everybody will be there, I think. 
And as we're there, we'll all be talking. We have a great time as a family. And then there's all the sidebar conversations. There's a lot going on. If you can imagine, you know, 10 or 12 people all together, talking together and having a good time. But here's what I've noticed. Caitlin, my daughter-in-law, I know her pretty well. I mean, I talk to her every week, sometimes almost every day. I feel like I know her pretty well. But here's what I've noticed. When, when we're in the group of the family and Caitlin, is t- my daughter-in-law, is talking to my two daughters, Brianne and Carissa, they talk about things that I would never talk to Caitlin about. You know what I mean? It's like girl stuff. It's just different stuff. Just things that I would never even think to bring up to Caitlin. And when I hear that conversation on the outside, I realize that I learn things about Caitlin that I would have never known about her as she interacts with my daughters, no matter how much we interacted one-on-one. Does that make sense? So we learn about people more, not only when we interact, but we can learn from their interaction. Same exact thing happens on our staff, by the way. We're all different, and I've noticed that, and it's a priority for me to get our staff together. We have a staff meeting every week. We go out to lunch after that. We pray together. We do that. Well, what I've noticed is that helps me get to know everybody a little better because I have a relationship with each one of these people, but as I see them interact with each other, it helps me see a side of them that I might not see, right? That's what's happening. Our, our similarities and our differences help us to not only know each other better, but it helps us to know God better. So we come together. We're all unique. We've been learning all these several weeks that these encounters with Jesus, it brings out people's individual personalities. Sometimes, remember with Mary and Martha, it's the exact situation and they say the exact same thing to Jesus and Jesus responds to them in two totally different ways. And if you see that, if Martha saw, and and they did, how Jesus reacted to Mary and Mary saw how Jesus reacted to Martha... They would learn something about Jesus that they didn't know when they just interacted with him, right? That's how it is for all of us. So there's a benefit because of our similarity and our difference. Similarity, if you think about it, the disciples have been through some major trauma. Just weeks before they watched Jesus, who they've been following for three years, be brutally crucified. And so they have that post-traumatic stress deal going on with them. It always helps people that have been through something like that to be with other people that have gone through the same thing to help them process. And so that's happening. And that happened uniquely for them. But really, for all of us, it's the same way. We come together with all of our differences, but we have one similarity for those of us who are followers of Christ, that we follow Jesus, and because of that, We have this new desire as we come to Christ to want to be around other followers where we can learn about God from each other. And so the takeaway from this, a different they or a different community, is that once you become a believer, God's design is that you attach yourself to a local group of believers called a church who are following Christ so you can do that together. And by the way, you should be consistent in that. Because if what I just said is true, and that's what Scripture's teaching us, what happens when you're not here? Well, what happens is 
the church isn't everything the church is supposed to be. The local church isn't functioning on all cylinders. Why? Because we're missing somebody. As we come together and teach and encourage each other and interact with each other and point each other to Christ, if somebody's missing, then we're missing their perspective. What they learned from Christ that maybe we didn't learn yet. And that's why it's so important that we come together. So that's a different they or a different community. But also, knowing Jesus brings us a different, a different him. I mean, as important as for us to come together as believers in church and, and have a, a different community, and that happens differently for different people. I remember when I, the first church that I really felt at home in, it was the second church I'd been in because I'd become a believer in New Mexico, and then we moved to Colorado. We moved a lot, Navy brat. And so we moved around, and I landed in Colorado. My dad was out of the Navy. New place. Uh, I don't know if you've moved around a lot, but if you're a guy and you move around a lot, you get in a lot of fights. So junior high, I moved to Colorado. First three, I was, first two weeks there, I was in three different fights. And the first fight was just like day one. And... Uh, and then I end up, and then, so, new school, and then new church. So I go to this church, the first day at the church, I'm taken by somebody down to the junior high class. There's only like 10 people in there. Pueblo's a big town. It's like five large high schools in, in the Pueblo area. And I sit down in that class, and guess who I'm sitting next to? I'm sitting right next to the guy that I got in a fight with like two days ago. It was freaky. I mean, what are the odds of that? You know, he was from like a boys' ranch thing out in the county of Pueblo, and that he moved away. I don't know that we ever hit it off, but he, he moved away shortly after that. I never really got to know him very well. But, but then, all of a sudden, church became super important to me. Fast forward a couple years, I would have fought for anybody at my church because that's how close... Church was where we came together to learn about Jesus. And even though I felt like an outlaw sometimes at church, I knew we're all here to learn. We're all in the same boat. We're all messed up people learning about God. So I felt like I belonged, even though I was different. Didn't always feel like in one way I fit, fit in, but another way, man, I felt like you couldn't keep me from church. I wanted to be at church. And I started realizing that the people I knew at church, I had way more in common with them than any of my other friends at school. Why? Because they didn't have this shared experience of realizing that I'm a sinner, a messed up sinner, saved by grace. It changed everything. And I wanted to be around other people that had been through the, the same thing. That's the different they. But then also when we, we come to Christ, we experience a different him. And by that, him, I mean we experience a different Jesus. All of a sudden, we realize things about Jesus that we never really knew before. And I want to show that in Peter's life by how Jesus changed him, how he saw Jesus differently from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the last. In order to do it. Okay, so we got the context, right, of John 21. Waiting for Jesus. They're out there. They're fishing. They're on the third shift, so all you third shifters, these guys identify with you. These fishermen, it's like three of them, they're always fishing at night, and then they come in in the morning, so you're not, you're not the only one. 
And they do this by trade. But all this happens, and then Jesus, they don't even know who he is. He calls from the shore, cash, they have caught nothing. By the way, it's kind of humorous. Three of the disciples are professional fishermen. In, in the Gospels, they never caught one fish without Jesus' help. I'm just saying. I, I'm sure they did somewhere, but in the, recorded for us every time, you know, Jesus helping these guys. But anyway, so they haul in this large catch of fish. And all of a sudden, Peter's got to be going, whoa, this seems really familiar. He's like deja vu. Because here's what happened three years earlier. Luke chapter 5. Beginning of Jesus' ministry, here's what happened. Now it happened that while, so Jesus, and this is, we're by the Sea of Galilee again, and Jesus is teaching the people at the very beginning of his ministry, it's kind of, this context here, Luke 5, 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another term for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I'll do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And as they came, they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw, when he saw that, that all these fish, they're coming in. He's a professional fisherman. And they're, they're sinking both boats. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The, the same thing happened to Peter. Jesus had been teaching. He, he, the crowds are pressing all around. Jesus is trying to get a little distance. So he sees a boat. He asks one of the fishermen to take him out a little bit. They just go out off the shore where the people couldn't press in. He has this natural kind of amphitheater with the lake and then the shore. And all the people are there. And he teaches them when he's done, hey, let's go out deeper water and do a little fishing. Peter's like, oh, I've been fishing all night, caught zero. And, and then when all this happens, Peter's like, whoa. This man has to be from God because this just does not happen. And he throws himself down, says, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Do you know how it is when, if you're a parent? Maybe you have a daughter and she's about 10 years old. And she looks in the mirror, she's interacting with you, or trying on something, and she says, I'm so ugly. And then we as parents, we always have the same response. No! No, you're not, sweetie. No, you're beautiful. Or, or maybe you're helping your child do their homework, and they're, they're doing it, and they're just not getting it. And then, you know, and then he says something like, I'm so stupid. And, and you jump in there, and you're like, no. No, you're not, you, just, you just haven't learned this yet. You're going to get this. Here's Peter in the boat with Jesus. His boat's, about, his boat's starting to sink. The other boat's starting to sink. He realizes this is a supernatural thing. He realizes Jesus is from God. He moves over. He throws himself down at Jesus' feet in the boat. 
And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. I, I'm terrible. I'm awful. And you're wondering if, if about this time, he's kind of going, you know, and maybe, maybe waiting for Jesus to say, yeah, well, you're not so bad, Peter. I, I've seen worse. He gets nothing. I mean, the genius of Jesus, Jesus lets that ride. I'm terrible. I'm awful. One of the worst guys, just awful, terrible. And Jesus is like, yeah, go on. Because the genius of Jesus, he knows he does not step in to rescue Peter's self-esteem. He's not step in and say, no, 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 no. He just, he's like, yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's right. And then says, that's right, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What, what's going on here? On one hand, beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's like, i got to get away from Jesus as far as possible. I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. At the three years later, it's like, that's Jesus on the shore. That's Jesus on the shore, 100 yards away. Well, let me just throw my, fling myself into the water to get to be with Jesus as fast as I possibly can. Totally different reaction. And by the way, those are the only two reactions that are really legitimate when you really encounter Jesus. Today, most people, when they think about Jesus, they take the middle ground. It's the middle ground of, well, you know, I don't want to reject Jesus, but I'm not quite there yet to follow him. There's no middle ground in the first century. There's no middle ground with the real Jesus. If you've really encountered Jesus, you will respond strongly one way or the other. You will be like, I've got to get away from this or I've got to be with him. No middle ground. The only time there's middle ground is when you're dealing with a made-up Jesus in your own mind. That's the only Jesus that allows for middle ground. You're, you're not thinking about the real Jesus then. You're messed up in who he is. Peter comes to this fuller realization of who, who Jesus is. It changes everything, and, and really it's the same with us. You see, Jesus lets Peter's self-image fall on the weight of his own wrongdoing. And that's how what every Christian has to do. Because if we're having a, our self-image, if something else is feeding our self-image, it, it's always temporary. It's always trans, transitory. I mean, it just doesn't last. Even if it's a good thing. Even if it's the mom who says, hey, I live for my kids. Or you live for success. Or your self-esteem is totally wrapped up in, in your beauty, how you look, or how hard you work. You see, all that is temporary. Kids grow up. Beauty fades. Wealth and success are fleeting. It's only when our self-image is anchored in Jesus Christ that it will last for our lifetime and last an eternity. Because we realize our worth 
is not because of who we are, how we look, what we've done. Our worth is wrapped in how God loves us even though we're not worthy. Our worth is wrapped in Jesus puts value on us and the value he places on us is shown to us by his love. And when we come to realize that, all of a sudden Jesus becomes personal to us and it's a different Jesus. It's the real Jesus who loves us and wants a relationship with us forever and that changes everything. And Jesus interacted with him that way because he knew Peter's biggest problem was not the night at the fire. Peter's big, biggest problem, it wasn't, the, it wasn't his fear that he denied Christ. It wasn't that he was lying, that's not his biggest problem. It wasn't even that he denied him, that wasn't his big. His biggest problem was his heart. And it's the same way with us. We've all just got, get, we've just got to get back to loving God. A different them, a different him, and a different you is what encountering Jesus brings. Let's pick up our story in John 21. So they're out in the boat. Jesus says, throw on the other side. It's after his resurrection. They don't even recognize Jesus. But then they figure it out. That's Jesus. John 21, verse 9. So when they got out, and Peter starts swimming, and the other guys bring the boat and the fish in in the net. So when they got out on the dry land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. That last section, it's a complicated paragraph. Because Jesus interchanges, every time he has this interaction, all three times, he changes words. When he says, do you love me, it's agape, agape, phileo. It's two different Greek words that he puts in there. When he then instructs Peter, it's tend, shepherd, tend, and it's sheep, lamb, sheep. It changes. And 
and we're looking at this, but the most important thing is that he's asking the question. And when you dig into this, what's unique about it, if you think about the setting, what's Jesus? He's at this fire. There's a specific Greek word in there for charcoal fire. It's just one word that means charcoal fire as, a, as opposed to any other fire you'd be sitting around. It's burned down to the coals. It's just coal, a coal fire. Perfect for cooking, as many of you know. And heat and no smoke, you know, great, perfect. They're sitting around that. What's interesting is this term is so specific, it's, it's only used one other time in the whole Bible. And that's a few chapters earlier in this same book. And it's at the denial when Peter denied, denied Christ. If you remember that, how that worked, they're in the upper room. It was last night before Christ was betrayed and then crucified. And they're interacting as a group of disciples. And Jesus is trying to let them know that he's going to be arrested and crucified. And that they're all going to bail out. And then Peter says, no way. These guys may bail. I will not bail. I will never deny you. I'm not going to bail out. I will die with you if that's what it takes. But a few hours later, what's happening? Jesus has been arrested, although Peter did draw his sword, but now they're, they're all gone. And now Peter's following at a distance. And he comes up even into the courtyard where Jesus' trial is inside. He's in a courtyard outside. There's some officers of the Roman army and some other people standing around, and they're warming themselves where? By a charcoal, just a detail, charcoal fire. And Peter goes up and joins them, warming himself, and then a servant girl says, Whoa! You are with the Nazarene. You're, you're one of Jesus' followers. And what's he say? No. And then later, Yeah, you were. You were one of the ones with him. He says, No, I never knew him. And he denies him three times. And remember, he's standing at the fire. And Jesus, somewhere through the crowd, looks at Peter. The cock crows. The rooster crows. And it's like, Whoa! I've denied my Savior. Now, and he said that, he said he would never deny him in front of all the, the disciples. Now the disciples and Jesus are having breakfast on the shore, and there's an elephant in the room here. You know, Jesus could have said, we might as well just clear this up, Peter, you owe me an apology, and you owe the other uh, uh, disciples an apology, because you blew it. The genius of Jesus, it didn't work that way. It's the way we would have handled it, maybe. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And commentators all the debate on the more than these, more than these. Who, who's the these? The fish? Or the disciples? Or what? I think Jesus is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? And do you love me more than these people love me? Because that's what he said when he, right before he denied Jesus. And notice Peter's answer, yes, I love you. He leaves out the more than everybody else. He's grown up a little since then. He says, yes, Lord, I, I love you. And he asks him again. And again, three denials and three times Christ affirms his love. And really, it's the question that's the most important thing. That's what's going on. Do you love me? And really, it's the same for all of us. As Christians, 
we're, we're messed up to begin with. God saves us. But even when we're following, we blow it. We get messed up. And some of you may be here and you're just kind of under the weight of what happened last night or last weekend or 10 years ago. And you're just kind of crushed by that and you're thinking, oh, that's limiting me. I can't really do anything. I mean, I've got this weight, this guilt hanging on me. And, and Jesus is going, hey, whoa, whoa, stop all that. Just one question. Do you love me? We don't have to go review all the failures. Just one question. Do you love me? Yes. Get busy. Feed my, tend my sheep, you know, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd the flock. Get busy. Get with it, he's saying. Tend my sheep. This last part I want to read you in, in the next verse here. So they do that, and then Jesus says something. Whenever he says truly, truly, he's saying, tune in. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. When he says stretched out, he's talking about crucifixion. And so, after Peter says he loves him three times, he says, get busy, this is what, what's going to happen. And what we know is in by history, 64 A.D., a few decades later, Nero crucifies Peter in Rome. Peter, under the sentence to crucifixion, says, you crucify me, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. And so Peter loves God and follows him, loves God and follows him, and loves God and follows him until his dying breath. And it's the same for all of us. When we really encounter Jesus, it brings a different day. It brings us into a, a community of people who have also encountered Jesus in the same way. And we even benefit from their differences. But we have something in common. That's the most important thing we can have in common. It brings a different Jesus because we realize him in a new and personal way, what he's done for us personally. And we live to follow him. because it brings a different you, a different me. Everything's different. Because we realize we're living for something beyond ourselves. We have a purpose greater than our agenda that God's given us a job to do. And we come, we do it individually and we also come together as a church to accomplish it. And so here's a takeaway. At Grace 
different day, if you're a believer, and we appreciate every, not everyone here is a follower of Christ. We understand that, and we're glad you're here. We want you to be here, and we want you, we want, want you to learn more and more about Jesus until you give your heart to him. But for those of us who are believers, it's important that we be here. Do you see what I'm saying, how we can learn more about Jesus by different people's perspective and their experiences? What does it mean then when you're not here? You see, church is just where we come together, we gather together to learn more about Jesus and to encourage each other, to rub shoulders with each other, to do life together. But, but if, if you're a Christian and this is your church home, this is your church home, when you're not here, then we're missing something. We're not firing on every cylinder. Because we don't have you. Because God's given given each of us different abilities to come together and do church together, and we're missing you. We need to come together, and we need to follow him. Let's stand together and pray. God wants us to come together, not forsake that. Why do we come to church? Jesus said so, but... There's a reason. And we need to all get busy. We need to get with it on, what, on his agenda, what he wants us to do. One way of doing that, next Sunday, we celebrate on Sunday, Veterans Day, which happens a few days later. And we honor our vets. We've been doing this for a couple years now. So one way, you want to be about God's business, invite a vet to church. We will honor them. We will I give them the honor that they're due, and we also point them to Jesus, your Savior. Help us, help us to do that. Another thing, as Christians, we're supposed to be good citizens. Good citizens vote. So Tuesday, get out and vote. Just our responsibility as believers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for grace. Thanks for bringing us together from all different backgrounds, different experiences. Lord, you bring us together for a reason, and it's important for all of us to be here. And God, we thank you for grace. I, I, I love grace, and I know many of us do. God, what a blessing. Thank you. Thank you for every person that you've attached to our church family. And Father, we thank you just for loving us. And Lord, at this week, we especially pray for our country. We pray for our, the leaders, uh, the president on down in positions of authority right now. And we pray for what's going to happen in the election. We pray for our future leaders. And Lord, we pray with all that, that somehow our country would turn a little bit closer to you. And thanks for the country we live in, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One last thing before you, before you go. We have a 101 class today, which is a way to join church. And basically, it starts in about 10 minutes in the quad. And I'll be over there, and we're going to get you started. There's a free meal involved. It, it lasts about an hour and 15, you know, ends about when the church service, third church service ends. If you didn't sign up, if you did sign up, see you there. If you didn't sign up and you've never done 101, uh, take the class. That's how you become a member. It's pretty painless.
Hope to see you there. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.